going on, my Nice to hear from you in La La Land. Are you looking out at the lobby of the Beverly Hills Hotel like you were on Instagram yesterday? I am not. I'm actually staying tonight in a different hotel, and uh, uh. I'm not enjoying it. I have to say, I'm in a, a, a friend, associate, uh, a vague uh, acquaintance, Jason Pomerantz's 60 Beverly Hills. Uh, uh-huh. No, listen, uh, not so chic. A really nice hotel. He's a great guy, really good collector. Really, really like him. Uh, it's not his fault. I think it's the pandemic. Um, like, there's no services. There's no housekeeping. Um, you know, getting a coffee, not really possible. Everyone's so nice here, but I just think they're just getting back up to speed. Los Angeles, I, I mean, I'm trying to be kind, but it really fucking sucks. Not, not what I wanted my first long business trip to be. Um, starting out, flying out uh, from Newark uh, in in the Polaris in the live flat, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, I would never eat the food anyway. But like, of course it, not. it was the services were even more degraded on board. Like, no more mm-hmm. warm nuts uh, as opposed Fuck to them. pouring you a glass of wine. Like, they have the same kind of single use plastic bottles of like Ugh. of like. Not that the wine's ever wow. any good, but usually have a choice. It was like one white. Uh, it was like the you know the screw top uh, you know plastic bottle per person. Um, not really enjoying. Damn. It. Get here, get to the hotel, flew in kind of late on Sunday, get to the hotel, and they're telling me, oh, there's no housekeeping, which, you know, when, like, you know, like, I'm, the one nice thing about traveling is staying in a nice hotel and knowing that when you leave, like, the bed gets made and all that. Um, that's not happening. I mean, I know it's a pandemic, but kind of a bummer. And then LA in general, I mean, the galleries are fine. I had some nice meetings yesterday. We're taking some clients all around to see some pictures, as one is wont mm-hmm. to do, or as I want to do. Uh, so the galleries seem to be humming right along. I'll see some more later this afternoon. But like, went out to eat. So, but just like trying to get a coffee anywhere. Went out to eat yeah, at tell, Petit Trois. Tell me about dinner. So we go to Petit Trois, which is a restaurant I very the much have enjoyed place. in the past. Yeah, there's there's two locations I've only eaten previously in the location here in the city in Hollywood, uh, which is in a strip mall. Great bar to sit at alone and have a little heavy French food. Like one of the great, uh, I have been in my mm-hmm. mind one of the better French bistros left in America food wise. Um, had to book the Valley location because the main location is closed on Mondays. But wow. no problem with that. Uh, the clients uh, had been on a little road trip in a very fast uh, uh, Lamborghini SUV. So we drove to dinner in that over the hills. Pretty fun. I enjoyed that. Um, going over uh, going over Mahone Drive, trying not to pull a James Dean. And uh, and pull up. Restaurants okay. like a little funky. Uh, like the girl comes out, oh, you have a reservation yet? And she offers us this table outside. But it wasn't like a New York table in a beautiful little shed. It was like on like whatever it is, Ventura Boulevard or some like main Oof. thing, bus stop right there. I'm like, eh. Not so much. Like we'd we'd rather eat inside, and it becomes a whole mission mm-hmm. goss. Like there's only three tables in there. The night before, we had popped through right. Musso and Frank's. Musso and Frank's was packed. Food was terrible, but it oh, was packed. So great to edge hear. Edge to edge. The food and there it, is not terrible, by the way. It, I think they, they just started back up. There. But anyway, but so in in Petit Trois in the Valley, like there's only two tables. We had to wait. Finally, get one. I mean, they're being very nice. I had a I had a, a a little pate which was wonderful, really delish, mm-hmm. and a carrot salad also like uh, you know pretty pretty dope. Um, but the steak not so good, my friend. Like really just right. like uh, covered in sauce. Like they're hiding things. The wine list not so interesting. Service was just mm-hmm. I mean they're trying, but it was it wasn't New York. New York. Like City. If, if New York is back, but L A is not, and it was like a disappointing mm-hmm. dining experience. And I don't think it was because of the kitchen necessarily. I think it was just like. They're not sure how to deal with the pandemic. It seems like they right. never quite got their head around it. I'm obviously, you know, obviously we still were very kind and over tipped because, you know, the restaurant industry has been dealt like, you know, a massive blow. But 
I'm not gonna. I'm like I'm not the New York Times, so I'm, I'm my star reviews never went. Uh, I never put them on hiatus, and uh, like one <laughs> one star at best would not recommend. Won't Shut be up, well. Uh, but hopefully, uh, I'm meeting with some uh, some various friends of the pod that will go unnamed and, and pass guests. I'm not sure if they're mm-hmm. if, if, uh, to Son of a Gun, which is a fantastic seafood restaurant. I'm we gonna, love which, which happens to have a great chicken fried chicken sandwich. Uh, I, I actually know about seafood, that. A great sandwich. We love John and Vinny. Shout out John John and Vinny. Yeah, uh, so I am. Stuff. I'm hoping that tonight uh, gets me back in the in the Los Angeles love mood. Um, but really, if New York is back, LA is not. And right now, I can't yeah. wait to get the fuck home. What about you? What's going on? How's the East Village? Well, I uh, it's fucking amazing. Actually, it's hot, of course, but you know it makes me so happy that I can walk to any number of restaurants and not have a shitty time like you did at. Penetrois, though I do want to say that, that the food at Musso's is not as bad as one uh, would think. I know it's very much a CNB scene rather than a sort of savory or meal kind of place. But, you know, I went there with Kenneth Anger once and he got the lamb chops. So I got whoa, the lamb chops. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You yeah. went to Musso and Frank Grell with the great oh, yeah, auteur yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Hollywood gossip historian Kenneth Anger? I never told you about this? Oh, yeah. No. Like me, yeah Tell me the Kenneth, people. I was... I was writing about him for, for art news and, and, and I asked him if he wanted to get dinner and, and after some cajoling, he said, yes. And I said, anywhere in, in Hollywood, I'll, I'll pay. And he's like, well, we have to go to Musos. And so well, I, I would agree. And uh, yeah, we had a, a, a nice, I think it was a four hour long dinner. We ordered um, a bunch of other things. Sweet. That is so yeah. cool. That is so yeah. cool. I mean, wow. he's just a, a, an absolute icon. And I think someone oh, that yeah. Alyssa Bennett, our recent guest is kind of like a direct descendant of intellectually in some ways. Oh, um, absolutely. Right, a thousand percent yes. Their their fascination with with uh, bad Hollywood behavior uh, is is very much puts them in the same league uh, spiritually. Uh, I was actually, spiritually, I was, you know, yeah, yeah. I was actually at the the Vista Theater in Silver Lake when Kenneth Anger, which is a great indie cinema, when Kenneth Anger um, kind of put his handprints in their in their version of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's and, really uh, cool. I did meet him a couple yeah, times, no, but I, I definitely didn't have a meal. Oh, it was it was phenomenal but anyway uh going back to new york city where things are amazing uh i actually stayed in town on friday night uh before going up to the country you know i've been going up to the country every week I mean, usually it's friday to sunday uh this time we we switched it up we did saturday to monday which was great because you know no not not much traffic saturday and zero traffic last night uh we actually stopped in newburgh new york uh, uh which is a very fascinating town that is on the up and up, but still a little gritty. We went to this wonderful restaurant called Miss Fairfax, named after George Washington's mistress. No, uh, not the right Fairfax Dorn. From... <laughs> no. <laughs> um, shout out Fairfax Dorn. Uh, it's right across from Washington's headquarters. Really dope restaurant. Really fantastic. Shout out Newburgh, New York. I've, I've um, never but... been, but maybe when I if I come visit you this summer, maybe that'll be a stop off. Well, we yeah, we stopped on with a friend of the pod, James Schaefer, and his, and his, and his wife, Danielle. Uh, who joined us for dinner, which is really uh, fantastic. James Cardoso Schaefer. Yes. <laughs> Maybe his, I that out so his, mar- get mad at his me. married name. <laughs> um, but no, we stayed in town Friday night because my, my friend, the great artist Tommy Malikoff, was having uh, a celebration for his uh, uh, birth. Tommy is a great artist who shows with a friend of the pod, Mills Moran. Also um, is from Durham, North Carolina, which is uh, where I went to college. And he is not a Duke fan as I am. He's a UNC fan. So he gives me endless amounts of shit every time Duke loses, which in the last year they've been doing quite a lot. As the world should give all Duke fans when they lose. Um, 
you know, it's interesting. So James and his his wife, Daniela, they took each other's last names and hyphenated it. Uh, so that they're both Daniela Cardoso Schaefer and James Cardoso Schaefer. I think that is chic. I really dig that. It's very I think chic. that is so You both cool. have really cool sounding names now. If, I, you, were, I mean, if like, you were to ever get married, would you consider such a thing? Totally. Absolutely. You I heard mean, it here first, I'm, folks. Well, I mean, you know, it's a process figuring out the whole name thing, but, you know, never ruling that out. And yeah, it worked out great for, for Daniela James. My wife, of course, being the boss she was, kept her name. Yeah, well, but the, the, kid, the kids have mine. Um, speaking of Los Angeles and food, uh, it was interesting to see. I was in one of my my f- in one of my kind of uh, food newsletters that I subscribe to that Alice Waters is opening her first Los Angeles restaurant in the fall of this year, and it's going to be at the Hammer Museum. It seems like it is. This is exciting stuff. Uh, the the most recent Grub Street diet was was of Alice, and they mentioned obliquely that. She- she was opening a Los Angeles restaurant, but did not specify that it was at the Hammer. And so that was a double whammy of good Alice Waters news. I'm out here doing the work, Nate. I'm out, I'm out doing the research for, for the pod and finding little tidbits. Speaking of, um, speaking of Grub Street Diet, when do we get our Grub Street Diet? Because all we do on this pod is talking about restaurants. That's really the only reason we have this pod is that we're, we're trying right. to thirst trap our way into getting, Crowley, getting a two-person one. We're here. Chris, we're really, really just opening up here. Well, I mean, perhaps we oh. should speak to the new New York Magazine editor at large. Uh, oh, well, that would be most recent. Yeah, yeah. Sika, um, who was uh, obviously the editor uh, overseeing the style section. It seems like he had a somewhat rocky uh, tenure there in terms of his management style. I hear. I mean, Corey is is an old colleague of mine. I, I was actually an intern at the All, which is the uh, website they started when I was twenty two years old. Great Corey website. Is, is a, yeah, Corey's an incredibly smart. Uh, very, very unique guy who's stuffed with talent. But yes, from what I understand, uh, his tenure at Styles was rocky at times. Not all the staff really vibed with his approach. And, um, you know, well, there was some good stuff produced there. I'm not sure if it really found its footing. Yeah, I mean, I was really then, excited when he was announced as the editor of the style section because the style section has been near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart since I was like 14. Oh, and, me I don't too. Know, they, they, he, he has seen some good articles. I think it was more an internal thing than what was happening externally yeah. from what I, what I read. Um, do you know that know, Corey know. was a, Do you know he was an art dealer at a certain point? I did know this. I meant to ask him about this forever because I don't think anyone else really knows anything. Or I don't think anyone else is even asking him about this anymore. But yeah, he worked, I think, for a guy in Soho. He talked about it in his book, maybe. I, I never actually read the book. Miller reviewed it for the New York Observer. Shout out, Emily H. Miller. But I never um, read his book. Yeah, I mean, I, he used to reference it sometimes when he was he was an early, and I would say the most one of the most important editors of the Dearly Departed Gawker website. Right. Um, we could look that up. Yeah. I mean, he, we could, yeah if we wanted to do research, I suppose we could, but that seems an awful lot. Oh, like, damn. Where... We have day jobs, man. Like, this is, the pod is for the people. I know. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about it. I'm still in my hotel room. It's 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 almost eleven o'clock. That's, that's okay. Gal- galleries don't really open here until eleven or so. Um, that's a good point. Uh, so it's all right. Um, but I'm, mm-hmm. I was interested to see that news about him because I think he's such an interesting guy. We should have him on the pod. I bet you he would he would be down to clown. Corey, come on the pod. Um, I don't think he would come on our, our podcast. Really? <laughs> <laughs> or he would, but he'd be a dick about it. Sorry. I love you, Corey. Yeah, I mean. But we love Dex. That's my, my love of Dex is my brand. Um, I yeah. did want to, uh, if not correct the record, um, expand upon the record. We, we spoke uh, briefly uh, uh, on Friday in our bonus episode uh, based on your reporting about the return of the in yeah, real this, life IRL. This is a Nota Bene Mia Gallas. coming up. 
uh, we we should have mentioned, as I think Wet Pants should have, I, I have to say, um, that the, hey. first, the first really big um, art world gala to return, and I, this came to my attention because I got the invite in the mail, is obviously Aspen Art Museum's Art Crush, uh, which mm-hmm. is, has been an annual thing. It's always super fun. Uh, Aspen art Crush is fun. Aspen in the summer is out great. of control. They're honoring the great West Coast painter, uh, Mary Weatherford, this year. Um mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some great examples of her work over at David Kordensky's gallery yesterday. Um, so there, that's happening uh, sometime in the end of July, early August, as we, I recall. We, dis- we discussed potentially going, Ben, uh, but now I... I, I think you might have not. something I, else I, you need to do. I have something else that weekend now. But but that's because we agreed that we were going to go to Art Crush. But, but yes, I'm very, very booked that weekend um and and aspen you know as 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 we and everyone else has discussed aspen has become one of these sites for pop-up galleries um white cube uh, announced a while ago and they just opened their their gallery there marion boski has a gallery there i did a couple pop-up shows this week for another gallery that's opening there Ooh, a little teaser a little teaser so if if you subscribe uh check that out on saturday otherwise i'll tweet out the news that needs to be read um uh, and so there's always been a good art scene there, some of the great art collectors, and we were seeing, you know, uh, from everywhere, from from East Hampton to Aspen, Palm Beach, obviously, Monaco over uh, over in Europe, uh, Mallorca. Yeah. Uh, big you know, Monaco energy. Big B B M E B M E. Simone Dupuri is going to the House of Birth Gallery. Yeah, it's like Simone's kind of reemerged post his, uh, I believe, his split. Oh, Simone his, is his yeah, life, he is he's, just he is in fuego and representing down there. Um, other That's art world, a beautiful picture. <laughs> God, I can't do my, I can't do my Simone accent on this. You know who we could get as a guest on this podcast? Yes. Simone <laughs> DePierre. No, no question. And that would be no awful question. fun. That would be. I would like to do that in person, though. That's maybe not a Zoom. All right, let's book it. Let's we book do, it. We yeah, do have a. We have a we have a coming up in a little bit. We have our first kind of tri uh, tri coastal podcast. We have That's a, right. the great. Uh, and it worked quite uh, right well. Yeah, no, we did a good job. We have Rob Sheffield coming up, who's a great art advisor and, one and, uh, only. and a literal gentleman, uh, uh, yeah. a member of the landed gentry. He's going to talk about his experiences in the art world and what he's up to now in the north of England. Um, before we get to that, I did want to talk, uh, uh, briefly touch on the fact, we, we should have touched on this last week, because I think the, the news broke a little bit ago, is that um, the Robert Ryman estate moved uh, from Pace Gallery to David's Warner. That is what it is. But um, for me, the real interesting thing is that along with the estate and perhaps spurring this move was that uh, Suzanne Dunn, uh, who is kind of Mm-hmm. who resigned amid allegations that she fostered a toxic work environment, and that's language that our lawyers have looked at, uh, was hired by David Warner. Our so lawyers? she was a cute, uh, well, you know, I mean, your lawyers. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so uh, she was accused of all sorts of, you know, basically of being a boss, of being a badass boss, uh, you know, I don't know, throwing phones, making lunches, being plated. I'm sure reprehensible oh, yeah. behavior, of, but, you know, I worked in Hollywood like finished. 20 years ago. Like, that's like... You know, uh, you know mm-hmm. that kind of part alleged of behavior is is par for the course of Ralph individual. I'm not saying that it's right. I certainly it's not how I was taught to lead or I don't throw how phones. I lead. Um, but you know, I also kind of you know I love I, I love someone that's in touch with their emotions, dark and light. But mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting right. that Zwarner was willing to look past these allegations uh, to bring her on board. She's a she has been historically a huge deal maker. Um, oh yeah, so she um, makes the rain come down. Uh, she she makes it rain and not just mainly in Spain. 
And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, so in order to get the the, it seems as though reading between the lines that in order to get the Ryman estate, whom right. Suzanne was quite close with and worked with for many 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 years, um, she came along as a package deal. And uh, it looks like uh, David, you know, will not be touched by this. He's he seems to be like very no. Teflon these days. I know. Well, like on the 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 you know throwing things meter of like you know anger management issues, like she's like not like quite at like a Scott Rudin level of like you know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, you know, and, you and know. anger management is, is way different from, you know, other other types of impropriety. Scott perhaps. Rudin, Scott Rudin allegedly threw a lot of shit. Did you read? Did you read those oh, allegations? You know, you know that I did, bro. I mean, I, I'm of two, I'm of two <laughs> minds. Guy, this. Allegedly, I think it's a bad. I think it's a bad. Shit. I think it's a bad way to motivate people, and it's it's it's, it's a window into uh, allegations like that are a window into potentially a very dark, dark soul. But he also produced mm. some badass shit and cranked out. Some I know, absolute, I know, absolute killer I, movies. Um, I don't I'm know. Just I, commenting I, on the allegations of the airborne objects. I'm not saying anything further about his character. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to align myself in the Keith McNally worldview, but sometimes for me, uh, the <laughs> art or the results uh, are, can supersede the methods up until a point. And it seems as though uh, this Warner Gallery decided that she did not quite reach that point, and the results superseded. I guess so. I don't think they would comment on that directly if if my column were to put it to them. But yes, they did hire her. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a judgment one way or the other, but I do think it's interesting. Oh, um, same here. And uh, uh, then, uh, should we proceed to to Rob? Rob is here, uh, about to, to phone in from. Well, I do the just want to I just briefly touch. I mean, were you falling into the uh, before we get to Rob any of the results in Hong Kong this morning? There were you some crazy I, numbers. You were in meetings, I can, think. Can you? I was. I've been in meetings all day. Can you update me actually? Because I meant to, ch- to click on some stuff and then I, do some. There was a NAR that sold for what a hundred mil or something. Not dollars, but what, yeah. What, what, I mean, what, what, what I saw were basically and these are not exact numbers, but based on my quick math, an Emily May Smith uh, painting uh, sold for one point five million U.S. dollars. If I have the conversion correct, I wait, think I what? Did. No, I, I, that can't be true. Millions with an M for Emily May Smith. That's what I'm this saying. And I'm, I'm going to pull it up right here. And this was uh, uh, so 12, uh, 12,350,000 Hong Kong dollars. Um, okay. We're going to do the math real quick right here, live on the air. 12, what did I say? 12,350? Live 12, on the air. HKD. Damn, I think you're right. HKD. I think I'm right. How is this possible? Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's, that's one five US, bro. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and this picture was uh, it was forty eight by thirty seven. It was painted in two thousand fourteen. I I used to own a picture uh, that was a little bit smaller than this. I sold it for less than one point five million dollars. And uh, my <laughs> yeah, my, you did. my wife's gonna kill me when when she reads this <laughs> yeah. on the pod or hears this on the pod. Excuse me. And also a Lowy Howell picture uh, sold for ten point eight million Hong Kong dollars. Yeah, that's also a lot of money. That's also a lot of money. Um, so uh, over a million dollars. So some big results two. on the yeah. young stuff. Wow. Uh, maybe we'll do a real analysis. I do want to touch on that real quick. But now, uh, should we move on to Rob Sheffield, art advisor? Uh, yes, please. Good friend and someone we really miss, and uh, he's got some great stories. Or so you do not want to miss this. Stay tuned right after tuned. this. All right. We are so thrilled to be joined by the right gentleman from Yorkshire, Mr. Robert Sheffield. How do you do, sir? Rob, how's it Rob, going? Welcome. Good to see you both. It's been a long time. I know. Oh, no. It's great to see your smiling face. Yeah. It's good to see uh, the house again. I miss that house desperately. Well, it suits you. It suits you. <laughs> it suits your fantasy anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Rob is a fantastic uh, curator, 
art advisor, uh, bon vivant man about town uh, and different towns, I should say, town and country, yeah. I suppose. Um, and uh, and is really one of my favorite people in the art world. And I miss his physical presence so much. So I'm so happy to be staring at his digital face here over the Zoom. And uh, we want to check in with him, see how things are going in London, hear a bit about his history and his life right now. Uh, pandemic, obviously how, you know, his entree into the art world and what he does within it and what he sees for the future for himself. And, and maybe for uh, for his home countries uh, more broadly. Uh, yeah, it's so good to have you, Rob. How are you feeling? What's going on, dude? It's good, really good, really good. No, I think I think those 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 questions since Corona are like uh, uh, everyone's been asking themselves. It's like it's been a reset, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Do you want to go back to the old art world, or is it going to? You know, if you were happy with that, are you going to do that, or are you going to? Is it going to change for you? I mean, how are you guys feeling about that? About are you relishing like the world, the old art world coming back, or do you want to do you want to change in some ways? Or uh, I'm I'm, I'm definitely ready for it to come back. I know Nate's ready. I am I'm caught yeah. between to, two polarities. I miss all yeah. the people, and I I love so yes. many people from our kind of fantastic caravan that is the world we call yes. art, and yes. seeing them out yes. and about, and it's full of some of the most eccentric and brilliant and passionate people mm. I know, and I do mm. miss that connection. Um, mm. You know. I'm a family man. I don't, you know, I'm in LA right now. This is kind of my first extended work trip in I don't know, 14, mm. 15 months or so. And I do miss the kids. It's nice to be away. So I would like to, mm. I would like to continue to engage with visual art and the people I love in it and see things in real life. I don't think I need to be on an airplane every month, both for my own sanity, my family connections, and obviously yes. for the ecological um, yeah. uh, price upon our planet that that kind yeah. of travel yeah. imposes. Yeah. So I would like yeah. to find a hybrid. Now, I'm not ready to say goodbye to it entirely. I believe the local is important yeah. for me, uh, but yeah. we live in an yeah. interconnected world uh, economically yeah. and otherwise. And I think art and the ideas that art kind of inhabit uh, needs to be interconnected and global. So we need to find a way to do it in a more yeah. sustainable way. What about, What are you thinking, Rob? Yeah. So that's, it's funny, I'm, I'm on a very similar trajectory to you, where actually when Corona happened, my, my biggest client I work with, were actually, uh, she's, she's based in Russia, and she rang me and said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just pause for a bit. And I was like, you know, maybe I'm going to do the same, actually. Uh, and I, I think I'd become a bit tired of the circus, of the, all the traveling and the art fairs. And, and so when Corona came along, I, I tried when they did the the kind of digital art fairs to kind of get into that and like maintain momentum. But I very quickly found that's not, doesn't work for me. I found it really boring scrolling through the fairs. Uh, and for a time I was like quite anxious about, you know, the financial situation, uh, how many deals am I going to get done this year? But actually I just let that go. And I said to myself, you know, this is a moment to take a breath, uh, re-engage with some other things in your life. And so actually consciously parked the art world for about a, about a year, really. Uh, I kept the sort of bare minimum contacts going, really, uh, with, with sort of collectors and friends and, and galleries, but really kind of switched off. And I focused on a lot of uh, family stuff. Uh, and well, I mean, you, you, went, you went and had a baby. Well, I had a yeah. baby. Yeah, I had a baby, baby. with... Ellen, yeah. So yes, yeah, so I, I I only met her three months. Actually, actually, I had moved out of London three months before the lockdown happened, to, to kind of to live between London and Yorkshire, where we have a, a family home, which is where my collection is as well. But it's where the so I, I better I better do a bit of a background, I think now maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, let's, let's, let's back up. So let's let's, let's start let's from the basics. Where where are you dialing in from right now? You're not in London, I don't think. From, from North from North Yorkshire, from a place called Sutton Park, uh, which is a beautiful Regency. Uh, uh, you we call them like stately homes here in England, and it's built in the Regency period. Uh, and uh, I can attest to it's 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 beauty. Having spent a few nights there uh, while lovely. attending a, a wedding that, uh, of a friend of me and Rob's, and it is yeah, quite quite, it's quite the collection. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful house. And then, um, we have sort of a similar one in another part of the country where my, where my mum and dad live. Uh, and so there's, there's a, there's a, sort of a lot going on for me in, in the North of England, uh, historically and, and, and sort of commercially, uh, and, uh, uh, for a long time, the, uh, the art world was my main focus, but recently I kind of zoomed in on, on the sort of the family, the family business, I suppose you'd, you'd call it, uh, but it's, yeah, the family business goes back to like the Templar, the Templar Knights. So it's the family the business. <laughs> I'm like blushing as I say that. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty old family business. We, we can't hide. We all, we all have our truths. We all have our truths. You've got to own it. You've got to own it, right? So yes, I suppose part of it was like settling back into some of that, that history and that world of, of you know, if I'm going to be fighting the British aristocracy, basically. Uh, and that's the world that I'd come from and I, I used to work at Christie's in the UK chairman's office, worked there for five years. I mean, that's when I first, that's when I first got to know you. Yeah. And was that your first kind of art world job out out of uni was working? I was serious. I had like work experience and internships. uh, And that was my first. As serious as you can be, um, uh, which is serious, but with fun. What, what, What did that entail working in the chairman's office? It was absolutely, it was, you know, it was, it was amazing. Uh, they, they took a real punt on me, Christie's. It was, it was great. They really uh, uh, gave me a lot of rope um, and they placed me in the chairman's office at Christie's. And, uh, and I was kind of tasked with, um, you know, these, these institutions, auction houses at that time were still quite stuffy, uh, but a lot of, there was a lot of dynamic behavior which was starting to happen at these institutions, like Low Ecos and other people. Uh, and some of the sort of rules being thrown out the window in the contemporary art market was all just take, taking off. This is like circa 2011. Um, so I was there, really the rise of the, the boom myself, all the big sales at Brett Gorvey in America and seeing all this like billion dollar sale weeks. And prior to my arrival, that hadn't really been happening. So it was a very interesting time to join the company. Um, and they were seeing this very positive effect from young people uh, by giving them sort of a bit of rope and a bit of, bit of, uh, a bit of ability and a bit of risk. Uh, so I was there for five years and, and really my job was to go down into, into Europe uh, and find the next generation of uh, collectors um, and, uh, and do business with them really, you know, it's sort of engage in battle basically. Um, and it was a very interesting journey. I started off doing old masters because that was my background. Uh, so naturally I was kind of drawn to old masters, but after about a year or two, I sort of got, then got into like modern British uh, and it seems to be quite, I've seen this trajectory with, with people before that they often start with like old masters, especially in England where art history is very kind of, you know, the Renaissance and everything. And then you kind of moved into the pre-Raphaites and then you, so you sort of, you sort of go up the chain of history uh, mm. and then really got very into like modern British and then got into contemporary, but it took a long time to get into contemporary art because it's a whole language you have to learn, right? As I'm sure you will understand and know from yourselves. Um, uh, but once I got my teeth into contemporary, I mean, you took to it like a fish to water, one would say. I mean, 
you're, I you're did. Kind of, oh. I did. I did. Well, I was, I was the youngest director in Christie's history, I think. At that time, I was 27 when I became a director. And then, uh, and I, by the time I was 27, I was the third biggest private seller in the contemporary department, even though I didn't work in that department. So <laughs> things did go well. Things did go well. Uh, and did you see? Was, a, did you oh, see like a younger generation of, of both continental and uh, and British collectors that were their family may have had a history collecting older pictures, uh, being being you know uh, old masters or even modern stuff. And then as you're meeting with the the younger of your generation, kind of they were more into contemporary. Did that did that partially drive your interest? It's a it's a really good uh, question, Nat, um, because. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn that around on its on its head a little bit. Turn it around. At Christie's, I I did see young uh, people get it collecting, but one thing I from my time there, what I did see, I saw pe- people from like established collecting families collecting, uh, but I didn't f- feel they were collecting very imaginatively, and I felt that myself. And then this is where I started to move away from Christie's, and away from that secondary market side of the art world uh, because I felt really what we were doing is we were just perpetuating like uh, kind of established collecting trends uh, and not really supporting our generation or like the, the, the cultural voice of our time. So I felt what I was doing is I was just making rich people richer is what I was doing in that establishment basically. And while it was a lot of fun, and it's very exciting at the time to be going to New York and doing that and hanging out with like, you know, these kind of fabulous people and the, the jets and all that stuff. After a time, I felt pretty kind of uh, bankrupt, I suppose, like this emotionally and spiritually, I would say. Uh, but also huge job satisfaction in other areas. Uh, but I felt there, could, there should really be more to this, this whole game. Uh, and then I went to go work for like Dominic Levy in New York. And that was kind of, that was also great, but I felt like more of the same, uh, making rich people uh, richer. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like, uh, especially having come from a place of privilege myself, I felt I really had to give back. Uh, and I was like, how do I, how am I going to give back in this game? Uh, and I thought really the, the, the way to do that was to get involved with the, with the, you know, the emerging galleries uh, mm-hmm who are really working with artists that are kind of tackling the issues of our day, no matter how complicated those issues are. Uh, and they're kind of the spearhead of culture uh, that are really kind of taking on those issues, wrestling with them, grappling with them. Uh, and, you know, that's how our culture advances, you know, uh, through these kind of dialogues. And so I feel like it's so important to support that conversation how, how, uh, long you, how long were you? How long were you at uh, at Dominique Levy's gallery? I'd a- say after like kind of a year and a half. Okay, so you went you went from Christie's there, and it's kind of while you're there, you kind of begin to have or you begin to solidify this yeah. kind of feeling of wanting to kind of um, advance. I think it or, started at Christie's, and then felt more accent. Yeah, then it was more exacerbated at Dominique. Uh, the feelings kind of grew stronger. That yeah, that I had to do something more for my own generation. And so I had this idea, a very simple idea of taking all this, all the rich people I've met, and just really being, being blunt about all this, like at Christie's and Dominique, and like actually then taking that money away from the blue chip market to the emerging market, where I felt like it could go further and farther 
and, and have a more like important and meaningful impact. It was about the legacy of like what I was going to leave when I look back on my life. You know, what have I really done with my life? Uh, have I just bought a big house and bought started loads of art or have I actually like given something back more meaningful to my generation, you know? So, so that's, that's, that's what I sort of, that was the kind of arc of my journey in the art world. So, I mean, it, it, and I mean, it's, it's both wonderful and easy to say that and to hear you say that, but I'm yeah. kind of interested. How do you actually go about going from, you know, from, from convincing and working with, with collectors uh, yeah. to say, Hey, let's, let's actually yeah. begin to collect some of the more radical uh, 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 yeah. types of art forms, yeah. things that are not easy yeah, to yeah. live with that maybe are quite different from what your friends are, are, are living with yeah. or buying. Like yeah. uh, how do you, I mean, you obviously yeah. have an incredible passion for these sorts of things and for the, yeah. the role of culture. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. other than the natural yeah. effectiveness of your charismatic yeah. personality, like what was that process yeah. like? So here's the rub. Some people I realized very quickly were never going to get on this train and they were in it for investment. And that was totally, totally fine. Like I was like, uh, you know, some, some people collect, it wasn't, it was just not a, not a main passion for them. They might've had other passions and collecting was something they enjoyed on the side, but also there was an investment leaning. So, so there were definitely some people who, who I was never going to turn and they were in this for, uh, for investment purposes. Um, uh, or just the ideas and the artists talking to were too radical because it's a whole language you have to learn, isn't it? You know, you have to be immersed in that world in some ways. So some people I realized were not going to come on the journey. Uh, but those collectors who I did work with, who, who, who did come, we kind of went on this journey together. And I suppose the first guy who I really uh, went on that journey with was, was a collector called Nicholas Kirkwood. Uh, Great shoe pretty, designer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and his, his company was incredible. His company grew something like 70% every year for eight years. And it was the first wow. shoe company LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Mo Hennessy ever acquired. Uh, and sort of one of the younger companies they ever acquired. Um, anyway, from that, Nick sold 51% of the company. I can't go into any some more details about what the payout and stuff like that was. But anyway, Nick had some cash in the bank. He had, he had some more resources available to him. He had some more resources, right. yeah. Had some more resources. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, and he, he uh, felt kind of strongly that he wanted to put those resources back into uh, his generation in the, in the UK, uh, which I thought was a hugely kind of admirable uh, standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but he also felt it would drive his own creativity. Uh, he said, I spent a lot of time in fashion. I'd like to get to know the art world now. And we met in LA, uh, sort of by chance, uh, just when I decided to, to make the decision to start my own business. And we got talking. I said, "Look, let's 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 do this together." Then, and we set up this kind of model where I was put on a retainer fee, uh, and then Nick and I kind of travelled the world for the next two years collecting, putting together his collection. And it was a profoundly moving experience because this was a collector who would like, uh, no matter how bit busy he was. Uh, he, he would get on a train to uh, to Paris. I mean, the, the most sort of moving story I had when I was with Nick is we went to go and see some work by this artist called Yuri Patterson. I'm sure, Ben, you know oh, yeah. him as well. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Yuri Patterson. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah. great, great artist. So that's the kind of, you know, the kind of stuff we were looking at. And uh, anyway, the gallery were like, look, Yuri's in Paris. Uh, you should come. And so Nick and I were like, let's go. And this was the middle of the week. So Nick left the day job to, to go to Paris. And then very sadly, one of Nick's one of Nick's friends, who's a designer in Australia, had committed suicide. Um, 
And as we were arriving in Paris, Vogue were calling him because he was a very successful British designer. And uh, the guy killed himself and has his neck. And so uh, Vogue were calling him just as we arrived to meet Yuri. And then Nick was on the booth because uh, it was, it was for, around FIAC and we are meeting Yuri. And then Nick just started crying uh, mm. when we were talking to Yuri. And uh, Finola, who runs Bob's Tank Station, was also like incredibly moved. And it was just, it was just, uh, you know, to show you also how like, how, uh, how fragile the creative process is. Um, but it was just such a privilege to be working with someone like Nick, who was so committed, uh, so sensitive, so driven, and doing it for all the right reasons. Uh, so yeah, that, I mean, that was a real honor to, be, to, to have that experience in the art world. There's something so as someone who does uh, a similar job to you and has a similar client yeah. uh, as yeah, Nick exactly. had uh, is and was to you. There's something yeah. so intimate about that relationship that yeah. goes beyond yeah. business. Uh, it, mm. It's familial is is the closest thing, but it's not quite that because it is an economic, you know, yeah. it, it is a business relationship. Yeah. No, but, it, but it's it, so it, it, more because it's not it's yeah. not widgets. It's not buying low no. to sell high. No. Um, it's no. really kind of like getting in each other's yeah. heads and really having a creative yes. dialogue that yes. uh, I think maybe I mean, you know, my, my clients are more from a pure business background, but I wonder if Nicholas, I mean, it's similar to like an atelier where you're, you're throwing ideas mm. off each other and, and growing. And, yeah. you know, I learn as much from yeah, my yeah. clients about the work I'm looking at, the best clients. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's what mm. sets you or me and, and some others apart from from the standard art advisor yeah. is that that's such an important part of the process for yeah. me. And, and I grow to love them and love art. And uh, well, it's their collection. Yeah. You feel yeah, as yeah, you yeah. had something to do. And I think especially collecting yeah. radical art things like yuri uh, or simon denny or, or yeah. whoever else it's not not a yeah, you know yeah, non-objective yeah. those yeah. that really is a way to yeah. leave a legacy as an art advisor and yeah. as a curator definitely, um, definitely definitely but i totally agree with you as well it's like i've learned sometimes so much more from the from the collectors i've worked with you know it's always amazing that you think you're the expert and then actually you know they have these incredible dialogues um and sometimes i i you know, i don't know who this question of the subject of who has the best eye, but Nick had such a fantastic eye. Um, but then you went in that connection when you're all agreeing on the same stuff as well, and like you can spot these trends that are coming or these 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 conversations that are that are happening. And sometimes it feels like you're right there when the spark almost happens, and and then these dialogues become wider dialogues in, within the art world. But sometimes you feel like you're at the beginning, you know, because you're working with these emerging artists. So. Yeah, very and around this, around the same time as you're doing this, you began to. I mean, I think you had curated shows before, but you you began doing uh, curated shows uh, yeah. in Europe, and that was kind of part and parcel yeah. of uh, of your kind of new yeah. position. Um, and yeah. uh, how did you find that as an experience of working directly with artists as opposed to just on the commercial side of things? I find Definitely it terribly frustrating. Fun. I mean, artists drive me nuts. Yeah. I, they're brilliant. Thank God for them. I yeah. worship them. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Well, this, well, how do you? I mean, I was always very keen with with. Every, Everyone I've worked with is, is getting them into the artist studios, but then again, some collectors are not interested in that at all. Really, yes. and, and some and some clients I don't really want to bring to artist studios. You know, I think it's you know, yes, agreed. agreed. It's important for me to to a point, especially in a practical way, to see what they're working on, what's coming up, and get a better idea yeah. about what they're feeling in the work. Yeah. But sometimes I want the work yeah. to really stand on its own without the artist there, because yeah. in because yeah. in two hundred yeah. years the work is going to be there, yeah. and you're not going to be able to have that interlocker. Yeah. Um, that's very good. That's mm. yeah. That's yeah. 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 Uh, so I, you know, I love, you know, I'm, I'm doing some visits while I'm out here in Los Angeles and I, and I enjoy yeah. it, but it's more artists I'm already interested in and, uh, and I want to know more and just deepen my own knowledge, but I don't think it's, right. yeah. Yeah. you know, I think when you're working on a project with an artist and a collector's commissioning something, it's great, or you've gone in depth already and they just want to build a deeper relationship and understanding. 
Um, but to me, it's not always so important. I think the work needs to stand on its own for the collectors. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree, I agree. Um, um, but yeah, so, so certainly creating shows and, and working with artists is, um, uh, well, definitely that experience of the studio visit is quite interesting, but definitely that, that experience of the studio visit with, with or without the client has definitely been a force in my life that has actually changed me quite a lot. I've had quite a lot of intense conversations in studios mm -hmm. uh, or with gallerists. Uh, you remember in fact, any... one time I was actually asked to leave the studio <laughs> uh, because I fell out with the artist. Uh, but I suppose I'd been insensitive, but I was asked to leave because we disagreed on something, but it was very intense. And sometimes these ideas and thoughts can be, you know, can be quite intense. And I'm often challenged in my belief structure, which is something I really enjoy about this job. Uh, is that you know you the people you are talking to are often talking about the the, the sort of cutting edge of socio socio political anthropological change. Uh, so you can't sort of it's very hard to have entrenched values. I think really uh, in this job, if you're working with a sort of more radical emerging end, because everything's always changing. You're not and bumping into a lot of Tories there. Be changing and thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not bumping into a lot of Tories now. <laughs> but I mean, that, but, that, uh, but that's I mean that's sort of why we do it. Good. At least for me, and I think you're the same. That's the what. That's what draws yeah. us to art, and that they yeah. push us uh, uh, as a culture and as individuals yeah. to look at the world in a different way. And even if it doesn't match yeah. up necessarily yeah. with our worldview, and even if it doesn't change our worldview uh, yeah. wholly, in part yeah. around the edges, it yeah. can kind of focus our understanding of the world that we're living in. And that's at least for me. Yeah. I'm looking at it sort of okay. for religious reasons. Okay. I almost want to understand uh, the the broader construct of the world I'm in and how yeah. I make sense of it uh, yeah. every single day as I walk through yeah. it. And, and artists. Uh, I mean, that's what yeah. they're so brilliant at. I mean, yeah. That's what makes me, you know, literally brings me to tears at times, ability to change the, the notion yeah, yeah, yeah. of understanding what the possibilities of living in the world can be. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said, Benji, just before saying, well, like, you're like, yeah, it's um, not you don't have to agree with everything they're saying, but it helps you understand the world around you. I mean, that's what great artists do is they, they make you understand the world around you, often, often unconsciously. Sometimes this is all happening in the unconscious, I think, just from the buildup of all this experience. So yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I have, I have yeah, creating shows I, I love. I was just. Go on, go on, yeah. I have a line that I use uh, oftentimes with clients who maybe aren't going to be massive collectors, but talking about why it's so important to live yeah. with art is that it changes subjectivities. Yeah. When you said uh, unconsciously, even in subtle yeah. ways, when you're having yeah. a coffee in the morning in your in yeah. your kitchen and there's a picture at the corner of your eye, you might not stand and stare at it and contemplate it, but it's changing yeah. your understanding yeah. of the world as a collector just having it there. Anyway, go on. So you're, yeah, so you're doing some that. curating. And, no, no, uh, on, that, on, that, on that note, on that note, when I was working at Christie's, I, I, there was this there was this picture of this unknown. It was it was of Saint Peter, but it was by an unknown artist, and it was for like thirty thousand. I was working with this like hedge fund guy at the time, uh, and he really liked it. And he's like, "Oh, but it's an unknown artist and everything." And I was like, "Yeah, but it's a beautiful picture, and it's also the story of Saint Peter, and he like betrayed uh, Jesus Christ three times." Uh, you know, so he betrayed the son of God three times. And like just, so for me, it's a, it's a story of how fallible we are, uh, but also that Jesus forgave this guy and loved him uh, in, in this particular story, you know, um, uh, of the gospel. So I was like, I thought it was just an incredible painting. But I said, also, David, every time you look at this picture, you know, it reminds you to love yourself or to forgive yourself and just remember that you're just a human being, you know, and of that great, even if you don't believe that any of that stuff, it's just a great story. And I, and I love that picture just because of it. And it, you can always feel all that in this painting. So, yeah, that's like, I totally agree. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's 30,000? It's like six months of therapy and you have it all in the picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly.
Um, but I, I do want I, I do want to pr- press hyperdrive because I want to get into kind of what, how life changed. So you're in London. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're, yeah. you're advising. Yeah. You're curating shows. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, so curating. You asked about curating. So yeah. So I mean, I went for the stage where I did a lot of shows in Vienna, um, which is an incredibly uh, interesting place to 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 exhibit because in one way it's quite old fashioned, but it's also got a very young energy. And the city is changing. It's also extremely conservative, uh, but also you can get a beautiful space there for not very much money. Um, anyway, a, a history uh, of radicality with the Vienna Secession, yeah, exactly, and exactly. a whole and the whole Vienna story. And it's got some fantastic institutions. But I did some great shows. I worked with a guy called Simeon Barclay, who's a who's a who's a fellow Yorkshireman, um, and that was one of the. And we did a, a show with him and then Hannah Perry there, and they all sold really well. It was really great. But by my sort of favorite. Exhibition as a chap called Ed Fornellis. Oh yeah, um, who, I don't Ed's know if anyone knows. Ed, he's, oh, yeah. he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, video artist. Oh, he's a performance artist. Listening, Ed, we miss you. Come to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean <laughs> used to hang out with Ed a lot. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I bet you did. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's great. He's great. But uh, <laughs> we we did a show called Cursed Images with Ed, which was actually say one of my most probably my one of my favorite exhibitions I personally have ever been to. And it was this concept that Ed came up with, uh, all about people who feel like they live with a curse, uh, as some artists kind of do, or, or that some art, some images feel cursed or are believed to be cursed. So I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant uh, kind of concept for an exhibition. And it was quite unusual to, uh, for Ed to curate a show, um, but he's got an enormous intellect. So uh, we, we sort of sent him on at the gallery, which is Gallery Kandelhoff in Vienna. And when we did this incredible show with some amazing artists ranging from, um, I should have written them all down, but um, God, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember, we had like John Bock and her. She was a huge, there was a huge range, um, Anna Udenberg. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the older artists who are in the show, but I can't remember. Um, uh, the, the chap with the truck, the spanner, you know, really, Chris Burden, Chris Burden. Yes. Of course, uh, yeah. So just, just an amazing range of artists and then that famous Austrian artist I can't remember his name now um, but it was just a brilliant show uh, but the day before the show opened uh, I was in the gallery uh, with the with the technician Ed was out at dinner with some clients I'd sent him to go and see uh, and there was this huge bang in the gallery and I was like what the hell is that and it sounded like a grenade had gone off and I was like oh shit we were working we had some work by Rachel McLean which was this huge light piece and I was like fuck, it's falling on the fucking floor. It's going to be smashed. Jesus, Rachel's going to kill me. Uh, and I go around the corner in the gallery and there's this like red patch on the floor, which is like slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, I'm like, what, what, what is going on? Like, is this some like joke from Ed or like what's happening? And I saw the technician as I got close to this red patch, it was growing and growing. And he was like slowly stepping back from this like red patch and like couldn't speak. And all the color like drained from his face. And then he just like pointed at the roof. And I was like, and I, and then I saw this just, there was like a hole in the roof. And I, and I went up to this red patch and I looked up for the hole and there was like a, a, there was a body on the roof of the gallery and someone had thrown themselves off the next door building and land on the roof of the gallery and it had died instantly. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh it was, God. it was so, so, unbelievably intense as an experience but, but talk, talk about a cursed image what we, right. yeah, what we couldn't believe is what are the chances the day before the show opened you know we were literally just screwing in the last screw you know and then 
this horrendous noise. And uh, so it was, a, it was extremely tragic, but then it also made the whole, uh, cons- the whole sort of exhibition come so alive. And there was a lot of discussion around mental health and this exhibition. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was just an extraordinary moment uh, career-wise, but also just emotionally and then so tragic for this poor man who died. And then also it was just incredibly surreal. Like when the Viennese police turned up, they were just smoking everywhere uh, in the gallery. Like, uh, and and, and it, it's, it's, I spoke to some Viennese afterwards and like to talk about death is like uh, very common in Vienna. And they sort of love death. And uh, if you want to go for a romantic walk, you go to the graveyard. That's where people go to the, to the huge cemetery in Vienna. So for the police, it was all very kind of normal. And then, uh, and then this special family normal. cleaning company turned up and their job is to clean up bodies in Vienna because it happens so regularly. And they'd had to pull their, old, their eldest kid out of school because they'd been so busy that day. So I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that city does feel like it has a dark undercurrent to it. And I, I love it there, but there's a certain... Uh, I don't imagine what, what drew me that. A bleakness of spirit. Um, yeah. Yeah, talk about the universe speaking to you through your work and about your work. Yeah. Um, so, what? Where, where were you when when things began to shut down? You know, in February twenty twenty, March February March twenty twenty. Well, you're, yeah, you're, you're in, in London. In, I've been living in Vienna, uh, and then uh, done another show. Then, 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 sort of come back to London. But it was kind of, kind of, kind of getting, kind of getting, uh, falling out of love in some ways with uh, with city life uh, and the fast paced nature of the art world, all the traveling, all the stuff you were saying earlier, Benji, about being on a plane and all that stuff. So I was sort of thinking already about how to kind of reorientate this situation. Uh, and then I met my current girlfriend, Ellen, who had a baby, baby Clementon with, and we met uh, in London. I'd be sort of got talking. Uh, and we sort of, before we give it a try to move up to the countryside, so there's a place here that no one's lived in really. So. But you were thinking about this pre-pandemic. You were discussing this before. Pre-pandemic, yeah, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think I had already kind of had enough uh, of all the art fairs. And... Well, you, and you'd always been, you've spoken to me passionately about your attachment to the land in the north. Um, of course. You yeah. know, and the people, and you enjoyed, yeah. you know, the, the recreational opportunities. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. it's always been a place you spent a lot of time and went to refresh and re- re-energize yeah. yourself, it seemed yeah. like. It's an amazing yeah. place. Is, but I think you have to be think you have to be ready to want to live in the countryside. You have to be, uh, mm-hmm. but I think there's a way to. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely a way to kind of stay engaged in the art world and live in the countryside. Uh, I mean, especially where I live in Yorkshire, you have the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, you have the Hepworth Wakefield, you have there's a brilliant yep. show by Zadie Zara, for example, that leads Art Gallery right now. There's the Liverpool Biennale, which is the biggest right. uh, Biennale in, in in the UK. Uh, there's also Glasgow International, which is just like three hours up the road, uh, which is opening next week. Um, so there's a lot going on in the north of England, which I have to say 20 years ago, there wasn't so much. But I mean, and, but you've also over the num- past, I don't know, five years, you've been kind of re- re-engaging with the historical art program that already existed there, the pictures that were, that were in, in the home yes. and, uh, and filling in with some of your own collection. Yeah. Is that right? Like what kind of things do you have hung? Yeah. I mean, I see a picture behind you, but what else yes. do you have hung in oh, this? She's not switched on right now. That's Michelle Abels. Well, on a point of interest, there's the, there's the, the famous Leonardo whose name, I can't remember what the name of it is now. The one that's, uh, 
you know, the one that sold recently for the Salma Gandhi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So our family actually used to own that when we lived at Buckingham House, which was then, which then later became Buckingham Palace. So that used to be in the collection. We, we sold it when we left Buckingham House. When that house was bought by King George II, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I, I, I uh, recall, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the, lot of the works, a lot of the artworks in this house and furniture come from that house. Uh, so, and he was, the, the guy who built the house was called John Sheffield. He was the Duke of Buckingham. And he was a big patron of the arts, actually. He, he was a big supporter of a, of a playwright called Dryden. Um, and he's, he is definitely someone like, he was also a published poet. Uh, and he's buried at Westminster Abbey. Uh, so that yeah, there's a, a statue of him at Westminster Abbey in, in London. He's definitely someone I look back to as a, as, as uh, an inspiration, big time. Uh, I write incredibly bad poetry; none of it's been published. Uh, but he was a big supporter of the arts, and uh, and I suppose when I was sort of collecting, what felt really nice was that I wasn't the first person in my family that had done this and successive people had. Uh, And I felt you had to sort of keep, I wanted to keep that part of our tradition as a family going. Uh, And then what I found when I did start collecting contemporary art and putting it in with the old works is it made the old works come really alive. And it also made the, the new works look quite different in a different context and there's this real dialogue starts to happen as i'm sure nate you can attest to between all that oh yeah like the steve bishop work in the, the drinks room is uh, yeah <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> maybe my favorite but it does give an incredible energy to the house that that you know i've yeah. been in some older older houses before you know i, yeah. I understand the um uh the you know the appeal of that but to have the contemporary works that you are so passionate about individually you know like you have an incredible story about every work that you have in the home um next to these incredible historical artworks and objects is yeah it it, it provides us electricity um uh, yeah. in, just in the house you know uh, yeah. that, that you sense yeah. immediately it's a, it's a really special special place yeah and i think i think what's been interesting as well is like certainly a lot of uh, you know, if you meet people from who, who've got like a long family history, they can often be sort of quite pompous about it, quite traditional, quite stuffy, quite conservative. Uh, and I think what's nice is a lot of these works are quite irreverent of that uh, long established family history, you know, or might be taking the mm-hmm. piss out of it or challenging it. So again, that, I like that contrast of uh, the kind of conservative traditional aspect coming up against the, mm-hmm. the radical and the new Uh and those things kind of clashing, but merging, you know, as well, and, and, and getting on at the same time and, and not necessarily mm-hmm. sort of thing at loggerheads too. Uh, so that, that's also been a, a great you, journey. And is this something you're going to continue to explore, you think? I would presume as such. Definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, one thing I'm thinking with my, with, with, with my sort of role in the art world now is to, is I don't know where I'm at now on the commercial end of it now I'm spending do I want to now be more like I mean, what I've really always enjoyed that was, is connecting A to B to C I'm doing a show with Rachel McLean in, in Vienna this year uh, and there's a, another artist in Barclay where I was going to do a show in London and definitely with those shows I like push those try and sell as much as I can I can really like get behind that um, and then there's some other projects uh, I might be getting involved with but I, but I really sort of see my 
myself now is like to come to like a sort of bit of an elder statesman, uh, a collector when I can afford it, which I never can. I mean, that was the great <laughs> thing about, about when you did deals, when I ever did deals, I just spent it all on buying art, you know, as soon as I did a yeah. deal. Like I remember God at Basel once, I sold a Camille on Rose sculpture. Uh, and before, you know, I'd even got, I sort of made a rough calculation what the commission was going to be and then just immediately went and spent that on the next booth. Like that's how like, I kind of- yeah, before, before you've even generated the invoice, you've already <laughs> I was spent like, the oh, proceeds. God, Rob, you've got to pay for the flight to the hotel and it's, your it's, invoice system and everything else. Like, it's, it, really it's a bit of an addiction. It's, it's very, very hard, especially when you're surrounded by it and especially when you're as passionate as you are about the import, yeah, how you know? Do you, how do you guys cope with that, 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 that impulse to buy and to feel part of the conversation. Also, and also patronize the people you love, you know, the, the galleries you love, the artists you love. But then always having to just know that, that it's that thing of, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's why I continue to do deals, yeah. both buying for clients and secondary. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. it solely, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. not yeah. solely, but a, a lot of it is going back into art these days, uh, more, so, yeah, yeah. more so during the yeah, pandemic yeah. than ever before. I mean, partially because I wasn't spending all my yeah. money flying around the world. So I had a little bit more liquid because yeah. uh, people were still, my clients yeah. were still continuing to buy or, or, or pay their retainers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, in the past year, I've bought more art than I know what to do with and, uh, and, and enjoy living with That's it. Great, but you know, um, I do have yeah. a family and, uh, and so uh, it, maybe things will, uh, will, yeah. will change a little bit for you now that you have a critter running around because yeah. uh, I need to do, you know, school fees That's and all that. Uh, but uh, I but, have um, a feeling that collection is going to be paused for a bit now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you know, but also, yeah. uh, but also, and th- not to be too genuine because I, I hate to be seen as such. But you know, I would like the idea of my children growing up around the art that is so important to me. Totally, and uh, perhaps yeah. they'll react against it and you know yeah. become bankers. But I, 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 you know, I didn't have a lot of contemporary art growing up in the home, and uh, and I would love my children no. to be exposed to the the radical mm. ideas that it possesses. And, uh, you know, I still drive them around to galleries and museums and sometimes they really get it. Sometimes they really yeah. don't. And uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, I think it's an important, important part of fatherhood that I can engage in the conversations with them, you know, if yeah. they're willing. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you, uh, Benjamin. It's one of the things I really look forward to is them growing up in an environment where all these like they're surrounded by all these ideas. You know, it's going to be so great. Yeah, I mean, without being precious about, it, you know. A lot of the artists as well. A lot of the artists who are in this collection come and stay here. Uh, I know you're friends with lots of artists as well. Like it's it's the when I look back on working in the art world, uh, just the people my kids are going to meet when they get old. I'm excited to meet you guys. Meet the you generally the people in the art world you meet. You know the characters. They're interesting. They've got a lot of depth to them. They're sensitive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, an artist, you know, and it's 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 that world you, you can. They're still, the, like you say, they may go into banking or do whatever or reject that world, but at least you can offer them that and they will grow up in that mm-hmm. world. And I think that's, that's always something I've always been very like, had one eye on, I think, as well as like, what do you want from life? What do you want to get out of life? What do you want to give your children? And I do mm-hmm. think a life in the arts community is a very rich one. There are pitfalls, uh, but, uh, but on the whole, you know, what a great place uh, to be. You're surrounded by some of the best aunts and uncles or godparents uh, uh, that you can possibly imagine in the art world. Um, before we wrap it up, I, I do want to and, and we'll, we'll end with kind of things you're excited about coming up uh, over there in your neck of the woods. You yeah. mentioned some of them. But I do want to ask yeah. uh, what else is going on uh, uh, at Sutton Parks? I noticed that you were doing a little bit of manual labor and installing some glamping uh, tents the other week. So uh, can, pe- can people go on the Airbnb and come, come stay up in your backyard? Yeah. Yeah. Rob, we're just going to show up, okay? And I'm just going to show up. Uh, as like soon as they weeks. let me in, I'm there. 
<laughs> no, you have to come say we're building a luxury tree house. Uh, this is wow. for the, the staycation market. People don't seem to want to travel abroad as much now, so we're kind of uh, we're having sort of a glamping site, a luxury tree house. We're doing a we're doing a, f- a folk festival here, wow. uh, and then yeah, then we got the, the, the Serpentine coming to bring their bring their patrons that ran the collection. So yeah, we got we got some good stuff going on. Just bought a new dog. Uh, oh great. So that's great, yeah. Got three now, three dogs. Nate's recently become a a dog father, a stepdog father. I know. I'll have to bring Butter. I know. Butter's Butter's in the other room. Uh, I could invite her in, but it's not podcast ready yet. And you guys guys have some some agricultural stuff going on up there as well, right? What's your... uh, Is that right? Farming, farming, uh, forestry, renewable energy. Yeah, 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 we do agriculture, yeah, and we have some properties and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like an old fashioned English estate like you see off the TV. I can't, I can't, I, I can't wait. To sometimes visit. I do walk around, I sometimes walk around in a, in a flat cap pointing at things with a stick as well. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's a charming anachronism that I find very, very, very attractive and uh, save a seat in the drinks room for me. Cause I think I'd be quite at home in there. I will. I will. I'd love um, to anything else we missed that you wanted to. Uh, well, make it a well, I, had a question. I had one question. I, had a, I, I just had one, one final thought that I had, which is, uh, well, mm-hmm. I went, I'd love to do an art residency here, but that's, that's, that's something else. But um, I've been thinking a lot about the, the UK uh, mm-hmm. recently and, and the gallery scene here does seem to be doing, it was London Gallery Weekend just now, in oh, London, yeah. uh, which is a new event, which went really well. Did, did you pop down for it? Around. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And took some people around and it was great. Uh, but there's a lot of good galleries in Mayfair now, and some of the ones that were Eso Stewart Shaves in Mayfair now, and Sadie yep. Cold has got a place right. in Mayfair now. Uh, so Mayfair's getting a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit more of an edge to it, and some, some of these like, uh, uh, and just the, just the kind of the, the, the camaraderie between the galleries in London. The whole reason London Gallery Weekend came about was because uh, there was a sense of crisis amongst the galleries when Corona happened. Um, they've gone this sort of quite healing process and they set London Gallery Weekend and every single gallery in London was invited. It's gone really well. Wow. It's an annual thing. What were but some of the highlights then, for you? Uh, what was really good? Uh, God, you put, it, put your five places now. Uh, Carl Chicago had, had a very good show with a young Brazilian artist, only 25. Um, Sadie had very good Martin Sims works, mm-hmm. which are fantastic. Dave Hoyland, 17, had this con, which is very, very beautiful. But he had, he had a fantastic show before that with a lady called Jerry Holder. Uh, and there's a new gallery that's come from, from the North England called Workplace, which are opened up in East End and in Mayfair, which also was very good. Yeah, I was looking at their uh, website. They look very interesting. Yeah. But that's and there's a lot of very good programs. There's a lot of collegiate uh, kind of sense with all the galleries. They all seem to get on quite well. Obviously, there's co- professional comp- competition, but, you know, they all seem to get on quite well. And you have like places like Arcadia Misa, Vanessa Carlos, who are like very, and you know, these, these people have like deeply principled, their programs have like a feminist lean or slant or, and it creates a lot of energy. But I was thinking, well, it's, it's that it's the, the art schools like Goldsmiths as well are great feeders, not just of artists, but of thinkers and gallerists. Yeah. Um, like forensic architecture, for example, is now attached to, you know, Goldsmiths University. Uh, and I think it's, it's that kind of plus Brexit that's happened. Uh, and then it's now sort of, I don't know if you guys have noticed, there seems to be like a focus on emerging art again. 
Is that a trend you've noticed? The emerging artists are doing well. That seems to be something they've noticed. Yeah, yeah. and people are because you know. They're looking for something new. I think that, you know, being at home, yeah. I think the pandemic yeah. is part of it. They're looking for new visions, not all the same names. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a desire yeah. for discovery yeah. beyond any market yeah. things, just a desire for new and what the new voices are. Yeah. I think people got a bit yeah. burned out on the all look same kind of moment that was happening yeah. maybe just before the pandemic and even in the early stages. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I noticed that too. But I think that's a great thing. That's very exciting. Uh, so, so in London now, there's a lot of energy and, and things, and there's like a bit of a kind of punk rub with Brexit, and where kind of we're pissing everybody off Love that. Uh, internationally. Uh, so there's something going on. I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but there's just an energy here now, uh, and I just wanted to, to let you guys on the state and the states know that what it feels like to be here now on the art and scene. And beyond the beyond the great gallery energy that was happening there uh, during the gallery weekend and you were in town, like how's the vibe in, in the city itself or, or in the, in, in, in London itself? Um, you know, like the pubs, like, question. can you go out and get a bite to eat? Like what's the, what's the, what's the energy on the streets? You, you can't, it's, 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 I would say like, it's, it's, it's not a corpse, which is coming back to life immediately. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it when Frankenstein, when like part of the arms start twitching and then the, <laughs> like, that's it, the whole body. London is not moving fully yet, but there's but it's coming alive. But it definitely it's still still not back completely yet. No way. Like you can, it's way too easy to go and sit at Chuck's, for example, where I had lunch. You didn't have to book. Who'd have thought that on a Saturday? You know, incredible, incredible. Uh, I mean, it's different. Yeah. You know, in New York, it's New York's back. Uh, New York's 100. percent It feels kind of like the old times, yeah, basically. Right? Except there's Holy more effect. there's more seating, so you can also sit outside, yeah. which is kind of charming now. Uh, Los Angeles, yeah. not so much. Yeah. It's like still a little bit and bleak out here, and yeah. it's not due to any medical necessity. They're just like they haven't gotten yeah. their shit together. Yeah, it's just New York. You just can't keep it down, can you? It's just us, New York. No, no. I mean, doing great over here. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be in commercial real estate, but other than that, like New York is just in fuego right now, uh, yeah, in in yeah. every way, and it's so much fun to be. We hope to have you over That's soon, great. and I'll I'll be in the UK maybe that. for a minute in, in over the summer, uh, maybe great. just London. But uh, if, if they let me in, it's it's still a bit of a it's still a bit of annoyance to get there. But once they calm that down, I'll I get some yeah, projects yeah, yeah. to do, and yeah. if not, certainly in October. Yeah. Well, certainly in October, that's happening. Freeze is definitely oh, we, happening. We've all been vaccinated now. Even like twenty five year olds here will. They've all been offered their first jab now and stuff. That's so. great. That's great to hear. Yeah. All right, my friend. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the love flesh soon. Yeah. I love Can't you very much. You, and, and really, you, you shared some, I think we had a really beautiful conversation. We actually touched on some really important things. We try and keep it frivolous here, but we got very serious and I'm happy for it and thankful yeah. to you for your yeah. friendship and yeah. your, your intellect. So uh, be well. We love you. How silly we really were. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and do do it. And do enjoy do enjoy the child when it's small. They're so easy when it's small. Yeah. God bless yeah. you. Have a good time. God bless Bye. you guys. Let's All right, guys. Bye, We're out of here. Bye. Bye. Bye.